0: Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constan from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the Principal Investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health and diabetes outcomes and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. I hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Kathleen Dungan, an endocrinologist and professor of medicine at The Ohio State University. In the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism, I am also site co-principal investigator of cardio at The Ohio State University. In today's podcast, we will discuss how telehealth can be optimized to obtain glucose monitoring data for patients with type 2 diabetes who require insulin. This is important for clinical practice given the broader availability and coverage of testing supplies and greater evidence for its efficacy in terms of A1C reduction, time in target glucose range, and time in hypoglycemia. With me today are Dr. Noha El-Nagar and uh, Dr. Mohamed Shalabi. Dr. El-Nagar is an assistant professor at the University of Toledo School of Medicine. She is also the director of diabetes management services and a physician assistant in the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at the University of Toledo, where she established Diabetes Technology Clinic as well. She completed her medical degree at the Cairo University College of Medicine and pathology residency at the Police Authority Hospital in Cairo, Egypt. She also graduated as a physician assistant with a Master of Biomedical Science at the University of Toledo College of Medicine. Also with me is Dr. Shalabi. Dr. Shalabi is an assistant professor at the University of Toledo School of Medicine and a physician assistant in the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes and Metabolism at the University of Toledo Medical Center. He completed his medical degree at the Ukrainian Medical and Stomatological University and his residency at Jenin Hospital in Palestine. He also graduated as a physician assistant with Master of Biomedical Science from the University of Toledo College of Medicine. Both Drs. Shalabi and Elnagar are members of Cardio's Team Best Practices. Welcome, Dr. Shalabi and Elnagar.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: As clinicians who take care of diabetes, we can all attest to the importance of glucose monitoring, particularly among those patients who are requiring insulin. However, this can be challenging as more care is developed virtually. Dr. Shalabi, could you tell us about some of the evidence supporting the use of telehealth for diabetes care?
0: Yeah, of course. And thank you for having us here today. We have meta-analysis of 15 randomized controlled trials assessed the impact of telehealth and lifestyle changes on A1C reduction among patients with type 2 diabetes. Six of these studies also reported details on medication management. Telehealth demonstrated modest A1C reduction overall versus usual care, but this was magnified in studies with automatic mobile transmission or real-time feedback. A1C reductions were also observed in other studies, and telehealth may also favorably impact blood pressure, body mass index, and quality of life.
1: From what I understand, telehealth seems to have positive benefits in research studies overall. And it's interesting to me that the benefits are shown when we have real-time feedback in particular. We know that glucose monitoring has a limited role in persons who are not taking insulin if there's not a plan to use the information, for example, to adjust their diet, their lifestyle, and or medications. But there is more evidence that's growing that tells us that the use of continuous glucose monitoring in particular could be used as a tool to help inform patients on their behaviors and self-care habits more broadly. So I'll give you an example that was recently published and actually is highlighted on our current section on uh, the Cardio website. This is the MOBILE study, which is a randomized controlled trial that assessed patients with type 2 diabetes who were insulin requiring. And they were randomized to either continuous glucose monitoring or usual care. And even though they were only requiring one injection of insulin per day, they still showed benefits in terms of A1C reduction, time in target range, and hypoglycemia. Even more interesting is that their dose of insulin didn't change. And so the only thing that really could have caused this observation of improvement in glucose control is other things that they were doing with their diet and lifestyle. This suggests that continuous glucose monitoring affects other factors. I've found this to be a very valuable tool. But I've also found that telehealth can present some challenges when you have patients who are using more complex glucose monitoring strategies. Telehealth assumes that patients have a certain number of criteria that they're meeting. And for example, they need to have digital literacy. And that can be anywhere from being able to send their data to us, logging into a portal, initiating a telehealth visit, and troubleshooting any kinds of barriers that they might have. Secondly, they need to have internet access, and they need to have a stable connection, and that's definitely not widespread. Then finally, they need to have the actual devices, the hardware, and the the webcams, and so all of this is is not always the case. Dr. Elnagar, I wonder if you could tell us about some of the disparities that are inherent when we're conducting telehealth visits?
2: So, diabetes technologies can produce inequality if it is more accessible to, adopted more frequently by, adhered to more closely by, or more effective in advantaged groups. Evidence suggests that our older patients or those with non-commercial health insurance or those who Self identify as Black are more likely to have a phone only visit. Telehealth might also reduce some disparities by increasing access to care where it is limited geographically and where it can be facilitated by technology.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Elnagar. I think a lot of us have had experience with telehealth over the last year or two. It's important to recognize that when we're doing telehealth, that we still want to incorporate all the elements of a usual clinic visit. Dr. Shalabi, would you be able to provide us an overview of the key components of an effective telehealth visit when it comes to taking care of a person with diabetes? As we know,
0: telehealth clinic structure is very important in regard scheduling, provide instructions, including how to access the platform, and expectations for the visit. And the importance of providing glucose monitoring data can be provided by pre-calls, asynchronous versus synchronous rooming by the nurse or medical staff, and system to track all steps so that all parties are aware of clinic flow. They can utilize the chat function to communicate among the team. Of course, lab work is very important and can be done asynchronous and synchronous. Last of all is the checkout, which can be scheduled for follow-up and send patients the instruction.
1: Okay, so Dr. Shalabi, what I'm hearing you saying is that all of the steps of an actual in-person visit are important. And I just wanted to echo that. So from the schedulers, they can really set the patient up for the right platform and what they should expect for the visit, the pre-calls. We need somebody that can do all of the rooming that we would normally do, such as you know the medications and uh, making sure that we have the right list, all the way down to, okay, how do we arrange the, the lab work, which isn't being done at the same visit. So I appreciate your insight on that. Dr. Alnagar, what is a pre-call exactly? Could you tell us a little bit more about how that works for you and how you found it to be helpful?
2: So actually, pre-calling here is very beneficial for the patient. It allows them to download device from home or sending data either by fax or using patient portal. Device linked directly to clinic from phone apps if they are using, for example, Freestyle Libre, fourteen-day Dexcom, or if they are using insulin pump. Um, medication reconciliation pen refails, also confirmation of data, asynchronous visit to clinic, or convert to in-person visit.
1: Yeah, so that out clause is kind of important. If, if a patient's really struggling, we need to make sure that they have the care that works for them. So sometimes that does mean that we might have to convert them to in-person or maybe connect them with the resources that they need. Thank you for that. Okay, so there's nothing like a patient case to illustrate how one might go about getting data. Since glucose monitoring is most critical for our insulin-requiring patients, again, we're going to focus on patients who are on insulin. Dr. Shalabi, do you have an example of a particularly challenging situation in which case the transmission of data did not go well?
0: Yes, in this case, I will be providing an example, and we have case about Kera. Kera is 63 years old female with type 2 diabetes. She was diagnosed for the past 16 years. She has medical history of chronic kidney disease, stage 4, hypertension, and severe obesity. She was recently hospitalized for gastric ulcer. She lives one hour and a half away, and she was unable to travel, and she does not work. Regarding her diet and exercise, she is unable to exercise due to severe chronic back pain. She cooks large meals for extended family at supper, but otherwise small meals and snacks during the day. Medication wise, she was started on insulin deglutag U200, 12 units daily in the morning, and Lispro 4 units with each regular sized meal. For glucose monitoring, She is using Freestyle Libre Reader, but she does not have computer or app. For us to resolve this problem, we asked the daughter to assist with the visits. We can see the mean glucose. It was 246 milligram per deciliter, and time spent in target, glucose in target 34%, and no events of low glucose. And we also noticed that she scans four times a day.
1: Okay, so let's recap. This is a chronically ill patient. She's got limited functional status. She can't travel on her own very easily. So we really want to accommodate her in a telehealth type of visit. She has glucose levels that are pretty high, even for someone for whom we would deem needs relaxed glucose targets and this might impact her quality of life. It's great that she can access her data and she can tell us what her mean glucose is over the last 2 weeks. She can tell us the percent time in target and importantly, although she's really high, she doesn't have any low glucose events. So that's reassuring. Even though we don't have a report in front of us, we can make an estimate of her A1C based on this average glucose. And this is on all of the standard reports and actually fairly clearly published in some of the literature. And so based on these accepted formulas, we can estimate her A1C is about 10%. Do we have enough information to make treatment decisions? What would you do or what did you do for her?
0: Most importantly, the patient did not have any hypoglycemic episodes, which makes us very relaxed and we can increase in the insulin. We are confident that she should use more insulin. So the plan was as follows. We titrated the basal insulin to fasting glucose goal of 150 or below milligram per deciliter. And we reviewed carb control diet with her, and she most likely, since she is cooking large supper meals, will need more prandial insulin at supper. And we also, since we are increasing the insulin, the basal and prandial insulin, we need to review the hypoglycemia prevention with her. And we need to explain to her as well the symptoms and how to recognize and treat the hypoglycemia, especially when she has kidney function, and she will be predisposed to future Thai glucose control. The time of hypoglycemia below 70 milligram per deciliter should be under 4%. For older or high risk individuals, it should be less than 1%. Also, we send prescriptions for glucagon. And most importantly, we need to educate her about the carb diet. And we will refer her to Certified diabetes care and education specialist to review the carb control diet.
1: You could even have the patient partner with this local education specialist to help her to download her device. I see us using these certified educators to help support our telehealth clinics and to get more data. And certainly because she's got pretty advanced kidney disease, we do want to keep her hypoglycemia risk low. So that 1% threshold is important to keep an eye on, which is easy on right on her home screen. All right, well, thank you, Dr. Shlavi, for that case. Let's move on to another case. Many patients with type 2 diabetes did not have access to continuous glucose monitors, particularly if they're not requiring multiple injections of insulin per day. They're just not covered, right? Dr. Elnagar, would you like to share a challenging example of a patient that is using a glucose monitor?
2: Yes, absolutely. I have a patient here. His name is Joseph. He is a 39-year-old male with a history of type 2 diabetes for eight years without any reported complications. Uh, Regarding his diet, he reports he is always hungry. He works as a chef. So he's on his feet all the time. He exercises three times a week. He goes to the gym. Medication-wise, he's on metformin, one thousand milligram twice a day, datamir forty units at night time. That has been self-titrating. He also on sitagliptin, one hundred milligram daily. Glucose monitoring unknown glucometer. He checks twice daily. And he reports morning glucose mid-hundreds up to two hundreds in evening with no hypoglycemic episodes. Uh, Last A1C six weeks ago, eight point four percent.
1: Okay. So we have a patient here who's got an A1C that's about six weeks old. So it's hard to know where he is right now because he is actively titrating his insulin. So this is an issue that I've encountered many times. I have to just rely on the patient's Self-recall, and we know how recall works, that we remember maybe the better glucose values and maybe not the others, and we only have the data that we're actually checking. Were you able to salvage the visit and come up with a plan?
2: Yes. We switched the acetaglectin to diloglutide to assist patients with appetite suppression and glucose control. Also, we uh, referred the patient to diabetes self-management education and support, and he agreed for that. We are planning to prescribe a connected meter that links to an app like OneTouch Verioflex or uh, Reflect, any meter that can be covered by Ohio Medicaid, and upload PDF to patient portal or take a screenshot of report and upload it.
1: Yeah, so that's the importance of that pre-call and making sure that we have as much data as we can get. Is there anything you might do differently next time to, to help prepare him for the next video visit? Yes, we have some ideas. First, we have to make sure
2: the patient has a meter with a memory and ask the medical assistant to have the patient read off the last week's readings and transcribe them into a standard table in advance.
1: This is really the wave of the future right of getting connected and I think we're going to see more and more ways to get connected more easily. I think these are great options. And there are some additional options that I think will be helpful in the future. So using the electronic health record in particular, so it's all in one place. There, at least in my electronic medical record, there is a glucose flow sheet. Now patients can manually enter in data. That's a challenge. Nobody likes to log on every day and and enter their data. But there are some options that are being developed in which these apps can one day, we hope, link with the electronic medical record and automatically connect your patients. There are different uh, approaches by all of the manufacturers, many of them, to try to make this approach happen. There are also cellular glucose meters. So these are cellular meters that, in those individuals who don't have access to a good internet link or maybe aren't sophisticated to even be able to log on to a portal and upload a a file of sorts. These types of systems have individual clinic databases where you can link directly to that cellular glucometer. And then there are also universal platforms that clinics can look into, like Tidepool, which is free of charge, and it can actually upload any number of devices. Now, the trick is the patient still has to be able to actually download their device. So therein still lies a bit of a challenge, but a universal platform creates standardized reports. So that way, when I'm looking at it, I know exactly what I need to look for and where. So thank you for that. I think we can conclude there are many ways to obtain glucose monitoring data from patients. And although it's not always possible, often we have enough information that we can still make medical decisions. Since telehealth is likely going to continue in some form or another, I think it's important for us to advocate for our patients. And even if it means that we just start off with maybe one platform or one device and really get that to work as optimally as possible. Certainly, as as we discussed with the telehealth rooming process, this takes a team, and it's a matter of using the team to set the expectations, assist with the data collection, and get the patients trained. And the way I'm seeing it, it's an ongoing process. Well, thank you, Dr. Shalabi and Dr. Alnagar, for joining me today to share your experiences of obtaining glucose monitoring during telehealth visits.
0: Of course. Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you very much.
1: I also want to extend a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio.
0: This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.